Don't run back that way. Instead, we want you kids to come up here along with the leaders because we want to take some time and pray for you as you go down. So come on up right, right up here with your leaders. I want to come down with you. That way maybe I can sneak out with you. That'd be good? That'd be awesome. Come on up here. <laughs> All right, that, that works. Right up here. You just need to see how many kids there are in Cornerstone Kids so that you're praying as well. And they're going down and they're learning about the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in the next two years now, right? It's going to be two years. Uh, they're, going to take one, they're going to take two weeks on one lesson. So they're going to get a thorough understanding of Genesis through Revelation, probably more than many of us no. So anyway, let's pray, and we want to let them head down. Father, we thank you so much for each and every student, for each and every kid, for each and every teacher that is here, and we pray your blessing upon their time as they head downstairs, and Lord, we pray that it would be a, a time of, of relationship building, but especially a time of relationship building with you. Father, I pray for the teachers, that they would have energy, that they would teach your word, and that, Lord, you would be glorified and exalted. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. See you guys. See ya. This way. We're going out this way. Right here. This way. Right here. Right here. There we go. There we go. That's a big group, huh? Now half of our church is gone. But this is exciting. Those kids are going down to hear the word. There's also something that we wanted to do uh, before we open the word together today, and that is uh, we want to we wanna pray. We want to pray for the family of Marcus Payne, the pilot who uh, ended up dying uh, at the air show yesterday. And we wanted to do that as a, as a church family. And then we have some flowers that we're going to give to Lorraine, who are uh, very good friends with them. And uh, we want this to be on behalf of our church family, just to let them know that we love and care and are here for any support and any needs they might have. So would you stand with me? And we're just going to pray together as a church family for this family. Father God, we thank you. Thank you that you are a God of hope in the midst of times like this. Thank you that you offer assurance uh, when we go through struggles. But Father, right now our hearts are heavy for this family as they've lost uh, this dear, uh, dear gentleman. Father, we think of the friends such as the Martinellis and others who have lost a very dear friend and Lord, we just want to lift them up to you. We pray for the family and for the friends, Father, that, that during this time, you would be made known to them through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray for those that are friends and family who have a relationship with Jesus, that they would draw close. For those that don't, Father, I pray that this would be an opportunity for you just to in, invite them to come, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
Lord, I just pray uh, for uh, Jim and Lorraine as they are uh, part of this church family. As, as they go through this, Father, we lift them up to you, asking your comfort and peace in the midst of this, that you would use them to your honor and glory. Father, we think of those spectators that saw them, perhaps some even here today that saw this crash. And Lord, we just pray that it would be used of you in their lives. We don't know exactly how, but we would just ask that you would draw them close. Father, we lift this dear family and these friends of Marcus Payne up to you this morning, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll give that to you to give to the family. We uh, are seeking to be a church that loves this community, and, and so that goes out on behalf of you as well as part of this church family. It's not just from the leadership, it's our church that, that we want to, to have gone out. So anyway, how are you? I'm tired. I'm tired, to be honest with you. We... Uh, we want this morning to open up the Word of God together, so I'm going to invite you as we're kind of getting settled to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That'll be the first uh, text that we look at, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going we're gonna to look at this in, in one other passage this morning, well, perhaps two other passages, as we continue talking about our, uh, our vision as a church family. Some of you were here last week, and some of you may have even remembered what we talked about last week, if you were here. Most of you probably forgot what we talked about, so we're going to be reminded a little bit this morning, but, but we do have a uh, vision statement, and uh, perhaps you've seen it on our bulletins, and it's fairly new, um, and, and it's simply this, it's we want to be a, a church family building great or G4 families. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But i got to tell you first that yesterday was a first for me. I have never experienced anything like this before. It was a first. I did, I performed my first fake wedding yesterday. It was a fake wedding. The couple, who happens to be my nephew and his bride, Cody and Haley, were actually already married. Uh, in fact, three weeks ago, a little over three weeks ago, my wife and I went over and we snuck over there to Salem and we hiked in to a, a place called Abiqua Falls by Scotts Mills, Oregon. And we hiked in and we had to go down ropes to get down. It was so steep. But the bride, Haley, she had always wanted to be married at that fall. That falls has a special place in her heart and she knew that not all the guests would be able to come there. So she, they called us up about four, week, or four months ago and said, hey, my, my nephew says, hey, Uncle Jeff, can you keep a secret? And I'm like, yeah, I'm supposed to. I'm a pastor. I better be able to. And he says, well, we want to get married on August 4th. Now, I was thinking, okay, so they had already sent out or had already announced that they were going to get married August 26th. No, what was yesterday? 27th. And so I said, well, are you not going to get married on the 27th? He says, no, we still want everybody to think they're coming to a wedding on August 27th, but we want you to secretly marry us on August 4th at the falls. So here's a picture 
of Mona and I, what we had to do is we had to, in our, in our shorts and in our t-shirt, we hiked into this falls, and then we got there, and we changed into our suit and Mona's dress, and Mona in a dress, and all the gals, the, the wedding party. Now, the only people that knew about this were their immediate families, and Mona and I, and the wedding party. And we all hiked in, and we had this, this real, honest-to-goodness wedding where we signed the papers and everything. And then we hiked on out, and Mona and I went off on vacation, and we didn't tell our kids. So you're going to have to ask them how they felt yesterday, last night, when they went to this fake wedding. I started the wedding. They, they told me, here's what we want you to do. We're going to do a processional and everything. This was last night. And they said, then we want you to just say a few things, and then we want you to tell the people, our guests there, that uh, we want them to watch a video. And one thing you need to know about both Cody and Haley, his, his bride, is that they are photographers, videographers. They have a blast putting these things together. So they had this very, very nice video, and it was just short snippets of the actual real wedding that took place on August 4th. So the guests were there to celebrate their 23rd day anniversary. That's what we were there for, and we did that. But there was this fake wedding the real wedding had already taken place and i bring that up for one thing to explain why i might fall asleep during my own sermon today because we got back at quarter to one this morning so i'm a little bit tired but also as i think about that i you know i think about the top it was this little secret between us and them and we called it the fake wedding and 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 as i think about that i think you know for some that's not a little joke for some who get married, it's really, although it's legal and all that, and it's in front of people and witnesses and before God, and they stand married, but in reality, it's just kind of a fake marriage. It's a marriage of convenience or a marriage of affection rather than commitment. And pretty soon, the marriage kind of shows that, that it's a, a fake commitment in the marriage, and that that has a rippling effect then when that affects not only the husband and wife, but the kids, and it affects the community, and it affects the church if they're involved in the church. And and I guess I just want to bring up again the importance of family, the importance of biblical marriage, the importance of parenting according to God's Word, the importance of raising children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is important do you believe me? Are you with me? Can you say amen? amen? Because I believe wholeheartedly that as a society, as a culture, we're in the hard place that we are today because of the breakdown of the biblical family. And so we as a church have said we want to make it our vision and we believe this is from the Lord. The leadership have prayed and we believe God is asking us to be a church family that builds these great families. And last week I called them G4 families because we're saying this, G4 families, great families, G4 families, whatever you want to say, are those families that are following the four greats of Scripture. And we looked at this last week. So let me, by quick review, go through them. First of all, we said a family that is a G4 family uh, are those that are growing in the four greats of Scripture, and then the first one is the great confession. This is where Peter, after being asked by the Lord Jesus, who do people say that I am? 
And he says, well, you're, they say you're the prophets or, you know, uh, Jeremiah or uh, Isaiah, rather, and, and one of the prophets. But then Jesus makes it very pointed. But who do you say I am? And Peter's great confession is, well, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And we looked last week at what would that be like to have a family or be a family where Jesus is confessed as Savior and followed as Lord. Where the whole family puts Christ in the center and not anyone or anything else, but Jesus is the center of the family. And there is this confession of Him as our Savior, but also as a family we want to follow Him as Lord of our life. He's not just the Christ, the Messiah, but he's the son of the living God. So we want a G4 family to be a family that is really confessing together Jesus as Savior and following him as Lord. But secondly, we looked at the second uh, great G, and that is the great commandment. Jesus is asked by a lawyer, an expert in the law, and in the interpretation of the law, he says, what is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? And Jesus narrows it down to two. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is like it, Jesus says. You should love your neighbor as yourself. What would it look like? Imagine with me a family that not only has this great confession going on, but in that, and because of that, they are growing in love with God together. And together they're loving other people. They're demonstrating that kind of love together. What an incredible thing. The third G in the G4 family is the Great Commission. Jesus, as he's uh, resurrected from the dead, he meets with his disciples and he gives them this commission that we know as the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The, the, the command there, the commission, is to go and make disciples. Can you imagine a family that has that as a goal, that together they want to make disciples and help people grow in Christ Jesus? We're talking a group, a, a family unit that has that as their goal. And then finally, we looked at Acts 2, 42, where after 3,000 come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, in one day, we read of this great community where each of them was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, excuse me, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to being together. It says day by day they were together. Can you imagine a family, a church, or excuse me, a G4 family that is committed to the church family? I'm going to let that sink in a little bit. I think today we have in our culture this idea that I'll be committed as long as they're committed to me and providing me with what I want or need. See, we're talking a G4 family that is devoted to these things And no matter what, they're going to be there. They're going to be a part of this family. They're devoted to the church family. See, that's what we held out as our target last week. This is what we're seeking to do, is to build G4 families, families that that have confession, confessed Jesus as Savior and follow Him as Lord, families that are growing in their love with God and love with others, families that are seeking to make disciples, and families that are devoted to the community of believers. That's what we're talking about. That's the goal. So now this, this morning, I know, I know I've taken a lot of time there, 
But this morning, I want to ask the question, what does that require of the church? If we want to be a church family that is building these G4 families, what does that mean of us? And I would put it to you this way. I would say G4 families are fostered, are you ready for this, by our three churches. Got it? G4 families are fostered by our three churches. I want to look at three R's that I think are essential for us as a church family if we're going to allow God to to, uh, reach this vision through us. So I want to look at three R's. An R3 church. What is an R3 church? Well, first of all, a, a, a church that builds or fosters G4 families is a reaching church. A reaching church. Look what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You thought I wasn't going to get into the Word this morning, didn't you? 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. I love what the Apostle Paul says here. He starts off and he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. I want you to see his goal. His purpose is that people would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That was the Apostle Paul's heart I want to see people won over to Jesus Christ. I want to see people come to that great confession, that saving faith that leads them to follow him as Lord. I want people to be there, Paul says. I want them to be saved from sin and the consequences of death that sin brings. I want them to know Jesus. That's his purpose. That's his goal. It's amazing to me. You look at 1 Corinthians, and I believe it's chapter 2. You can check me out, but I believe it's chapter 2 where he says, When I was among you, I knew nothing except, I preached nothing except Christ and him crucified. The Apostle Paul wanted to share the gospel with people. It was his heart. It was his goal. It was his purpose. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's saying, I have done all this with this purpose in mind, that people might be won over to Jesus Christ. Can you think of a greater purpose, dear church? Can you? I can't. I can't. Paul has this purpose, but notice his, his, the way he fulfills this, his methodology. He says, this is my purpose. I want to win people, so here's what I'm going to do. Verse 19, I'm going to make myself a servant to them. Wait, that's opposite of all culture, isn't it? If we are going to win people, we have to know all the answers. We have to argue and debate them and get them into a corner so that they humbly receive Jesus. We have to go to Bible school. We have to go to seminary. We have to get learning on evangelism before we can tell them about Jesus. Paul says, no, I'm just there to serve them. I'm there to serve them. 
I am free, he says, but for the purpose of winning them to Jesus, I made myself a servant to all. And so he gives this example to the Jews who are still under the law. I act as though I'm under the law when I'm around them. Even though I'm not under the Old Testament law anymore, I'm under the law of Christ. I still act as though I'm under the law when I'm with them so that I can win them to Jesus. When I'm with those who are not follow or Jewish, when they're not under the law, then I go and I'm with them as one who is not under the law, even though I'm under the law of God through Christ, I still will be there with them and I serve them so that I can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the weak, I'm weak. See, he is saying no matter what it takes, I'm reaching them. Now, why did I take so long explaining that? Because I am afraid, dear church, that what we get is this mindset that says if they want to know about Jesus, they need to come in here. And if they're not going to shape up and act like we do, then they can go somewhere else. We have this mindset that, yeah, I want them to know Jesus, but it's got to be under my terms, under my conditions. they got to look the right, play, look the right way, and they got to act the right way, and they've got to jump through all the hoops before I will reach them. Paul says, man, I don't care about those hoops. I'm here to serve them. I'm going out to reach them. I'm not waiting for them to come here. That's why the Apostle Paul went on missionary journeys. He didn't set up a tent and say, come, come, those who are far and near, come. No, he went out. He reached them. And he was with them, and he served them, and he he became as they were, although he remained under the word of God, the law of God, the law of Christ. I'm just saying this, dear church. If this vision is going to be fulfilled through us by the Lord Jesus Christ, it means we need to be willing to serve people in this community. It means we need to ask ourselves, what do they need? Or maybe a better question is, what do they think they need? I had a professor in seminary who uh, did a church leadership, and he said, you know, sometimes you have to meet people where they're at so that you can lead them to where they need to be. Sometimes you need to reach people where they are. You You need to see where they're at, and you need to go and love on them and reach them and talk to them where they're at so that they experience the love of Jesus through you, and when they do, they'll be ready to move to where they need to be. And sometimes I think we want people to be where they should be right here, right now, and we won't reach them unless they do. I can't help but see Paul's method. Paul says, man, I've become all things to all men that I might win some. So the question is, would Paul go into uh, the Rialto bar to reach people? It's a good question, something that you might want to think about. I think it's challenging. I'm not going to give you the answer, but nonetheless, there we go. We want to be a church that reaches, that seeks to serve people, and I'm telling you, I've been, I've been praying about this event, this, this crash at the air show, and I'm wondering, okay, we give flowers, but really, is that what they what, what, would, would minister? What would minister here, church? And, and to be honest with you, I don't know. That's why I need you. That's why I need you to join me in this. I I need you to go, Pastor, how about this? What if we loved them by this? What if we reached out and served them in this way? I don't know what it looks like right now, 
But I'm just saying, there's an opportunity for us to be a reaching church. Okay? So, if we are going to make G4 families, I think we need to be a reaching church. And as I look at the notes, I realize I didn't give the rest of it. So, we need to be a church that receives families with open arms. We want to, excuse me, not re, I, that, that, I jumped ahead. Don't, don't listen to that. We need to be a church that reaches families by serving them. That's, I, I did say that. Blame it on jet lag or tiredness. So, so G4 family are reached by our three churches. First, a reaching church. But secondly, I would submit to you that a church is not only need to be a reaching church, but it needs to be a receiving church. And I'd like to turn to a passage of Scripture that I got to discuss with a group of guys Thursday morning as we meet uh, every week to pray. And it's found in Matthew 11. And look with me at verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is Jesus himself speaking. He has been praying to the Father in the previous verses. I thank you that you've, you've hidden the, the truths of who you are and, and how salvation is going to happen. You've hidden that through, uh, from the minds of those who are great and lofty and wise, but you have revealed them to little children. In other words, it's simple. But then he goes on and he, he gives this invitation in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you ever been burdened? Have you ever held or felt that heaviness? Have you felt the stress and the anxiety that that brings? Do you hear these words of Jesus? Come to me, you who are experiencing that burden. Come to me, you who are heavy with these incredible things going on in your life. Come, and I will give you rest. So who's he talking to? Well, in its specific context, Jesus is talking to those Jews who had given themselves over to the Pharisaical commands. Let me explain it this way. Last week we talked and we said there, were, there are rather 613 Mosaic commands in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible. 613 commands. Now, if you wanted to be in a right relationship with God prior to Christ's death and resurrection, you had to obey all 613 commands without exception which meant as a young child you would start memorizing those commands. And then you would seek to follow those commands. Can you imagine? I mean, seriously, you're looking at me with blank stares. Can you imagine what that would be like to have to follow 613 commands and your relationship with God the Father depended on it? Well, add to that what the Pharisees did. Because the Pharisees tried to interpret those commands, and in their interpretation of those commands, they literally made thousands of other commands. And so here you are, you're trying to follow the 613 Mosaic commands, and then the Pharisees are saying, well, if you're going to follow those commands, here's how you follow those commands, by obeying these commands. For example... One of the 613 is you got to keep the Sabbath holy. Did you know that the Pharisees then would put together, they had put together 39 different categories under that one command, what that meant. Things like how much work could you do? How many steps could you take? 
How many letters of the alphabet could you write down on that day? And those became subcommands of the commands of the Torah. There were 39 categories which had hundreds of different subcommands under them. Are you getting the picture? When Jesus says, and he's speaking to those who are weary and heavy laden, he's talking about those Jews who are trying to deal with the 613 plus the Pharisaical commands, the man-made commands. And they're weighed down by these things. The thing that I would relate that to today is religion, making a distinction between religion and a relationship with Jesus. Religion is my thinking that I must do this and I must not do that. I must do this, I must not do that in order to be pleasing to God. I must do this, I must not do that. I must do this, I must not, uh uh-oh, I didn't do this, Uh uh-oh, I did that. And then we get in trouble. That's religion. And we have people that are weighed down, burdened by that today. But Jesus says, come to me, you who are weighed down. You who are burdened, you who have heavy loads that you're trying to carry, and what's his promise? I will give you rest. I will give you. Can you imagine? Now, last year I got to go elk hunting once. I drew a tag that was started August 15th, went through the end of November, and I only got to go out once. But that one day killed me. I was out hiking, and I was going down these hills, up these hills, and I honestly, the next, that was a Saturday, and I still remember it. The next day at church, I could barely get up those steps there. I was just so sore. All I wanted was rest. Have you ever felt so burdened that all you want is rest? Can you imagine what those who were heavy with the burdens of these commands and man-made commands, can you imagine how that must have sounded? You're going to give me rest? Really? That's all I want. Let me turn this a little bit. There are families, there are marriages, there are parents in this community. All they want is rest. They're burdened. And it may be burdened with trying to do the do's and not do the don'ts. Or it may be burdened because they've sinned and their marriage is in shambles or it's not all at all and their children are walking away from them and they're burdened by these things. Do you understand that? We are so quick to be judgmental. We are so quick to say, well, if you wouldn't have done that, you wouldn't be in the position you're in today. I don't do that. And we're so full of pride, spiritual pride, that we don't receive people the way Jesus received them. He said, come to me. You're weary, heavy laden. Come. My arms are open wide. And I'm not going to put more burdens on you. Guess what? I'm going to give you rest. I'm afraid that by our attitudes, by our words, by our actions today, the church would never say, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Instead, we would say, come to me, you who measure up. Come to me, you who look the part. Come to me, you who have a supposedly on the outside good-looking marriage and a nice family. Come to me, you who are perfect. Come to me, you who wear the right clothes. Come to me, you who say the right words. Come to me, you who don't smoke and chew and drink and go with girls who do. We would say, come to me. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. 
And then if we do get to that point, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, we would do this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to pile more on you. You can't do this if you're going to come here. You need to do this if you're going to be here. And pretty soon, we're piling it on. And they're saying, why did I even come here? This is worse than it was before. You still love me, right? Some of you are like looking down your noses cross-eyed at me. But I'm telling you, listen to those words of Jesus and how many times we do not communicate that, whether intentional or unintentional. And I'm saying, if we're going to be a church that really takes serious this vision of, of building G4 families, and I think we need to, I think the Lord's asking us to, then we need to be a church that not only reaches, but receives with open arms. Come. Come. Just come. We want to love you. We want you to find rest here at Cornerstone We don't want to add more to your burden. We want you to rest. We want you to become healthy. We want you to see light at the end of the tunnel. We want to be those who come and bear your burden with you. I'm not getting any amens today. And I'm tired, and I could use amens to keep me awake. And either that means you are totally disagreeing with me, or you're not listening, or I don't know what it means. You're more tired than I am, perhaps. See, we need to be a reaching, a receiving church. But the third R is where you guys probably are concerned because I haven't said it yet. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, but pastor, don't you know? Don't you know that we as a church cannot condone sin? We cannot allow sinners in here. We can't let them keep sinning. We're not going to be open-armed to those that are going against God's word. Right? Is that what you're saying? Come on, some of you shake your heads yes. I know. I've grown up in church. I know. That's what we think. We're so concerned about that. And well, we should be. But only after we reach and receive. They are not going to be transformed. They're not going to be. The next one is renewed until we reach and receive, and then we can become this renewing church, which is the third R that I'd like to talk about. It's a, it's a renewing church. I like the, the definition that I got from an old uh, 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 dictionary. It's uh, strong, or Webster's New World Dictionary, uh, 1979. Under the term or the word renew, they say to give new spiritual strength to, to give new spiritual strength to, which I think is perfect, and that's right what we're talking about. So we want to reach, we want to receive with open arms, but then we want to give them spiritual strength, and the only way that happens is through Jesus and his word. Now I should have gotten an amen. I mean, this church, I know, this is where the amen comes. We're not so sure about reaching and receiving, but when we talk about Jesus in the word, we can say amen. See, notice what Jesus goes on to say. He doesn't end with verse 28 of Matthew 11. Verse 29 says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke, it's easy. 
and my burden is light. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about bearing a, a carrying a yoke. And you, you've seen the literal yoke of oxen, you know, where they're kind of this wooden thing that goes over and, and it connects two oxen. And I've heard all sorts of things in regard to this passage. But I'm going to tell you this. Because of what Jesus says, learn from me, you need to recognize that what he's talking about is a set of instructions that are to be lived out. When a rabbi would have disciples, he would have a yoke, which was teaching, his teaching, his interpretations of the Old Testament law that those disciples were to live, that they were to follow. And so Jesus is comparing himself much, or actually I should say contrasting himself to the other rabbis, saying when, they, when you become a disciple of theirs, they add burden. They add weight. But when you become a disciple of mine, it's easy, it's light. So Jesus is talking about a set of instructions, and it based upon, it's based upon who he is. I am lowly. I am gentle. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I love it. Jesus, make no mistake, is a ferocious lion. Make no mistake. He's not this little weakling guy that stood in the corner and got trampled on. That's not Jesus. He's a man's man. Okay? But at the same time, he's gentle. He's he's meek. He has that power under control. And he knew, he knew what people needed, and he loved people, and he invited them to come, but he invited them still to come and take on a set of instructions that are to be lived out. And you know what's interesting, dear church? If you stop and think about this for a moment, this is the same one, Jesus, who said, when you get slapped on one cheek, turn the other cheek. He's the one that said, man, you've heard it been said that, you know, eye for eye, but I tell you, if you call your brother a fool, you're worthy of hell. He's the one who gave all these really difficult teachings that we would look at and go, wait, you're saying your your yoke is light, your burden is easy? What? What? Whoa! But what Jesus is ultimately talking about is because of what I'm doing here. I'm going to the cross. I'm dying on that cross, carrying your sin on me. Your burden of sin is going to become my burden of sin. I'm going to take on all of it, not just yours, but every person in the whole wide world that is, has been, and will be. I'm taking their burden of sin on me. I'm dying for that load so that you, you can be forgiven. So that that burden can be light and lifted and gone. And not only that, I'm going to raise again on the third day, proving I am bringing victory over sin in your life, but also victory over death in your life. Now death no longer has to be a big burden, a, a sting that you have to bear. Now death is just the beginning of eternal life with my heavenly Father. Jesus is saying, I'm going to carry your burden from now on. I've done it. I, well, at this point, I will do it at the cross. But he says to you and I today, I've taken away your burden of sin and death. I've dealt with it at the cross once and for all. You don't have to worry My burden's easy for you. My yoke is light for you. 
take it on you after you trust in me as your Savior and follow me and take on this set of instructions. And Jesus says, one more thing. When I go to ascend to the Father in heaven, I'm going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And he has the same power that rose me from the dead. And if you put your faith and trust in me, guess what? He's going to reside in you. That's why my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've taken away all the burden of sin and I'm sending my Holy Spirit to come and to work and to live in you so that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But it comes, dear church, as you take the yoke upon you, as you live out those instructions that I'm giving you. Church, we need, we need to teach families the Word of God. We need them to understand what it means to be a godly husband, what it means to be a godly wife, what it means to be parents who use the discipline and instruction of the Lord to raise their children. We need to teach grandparents what it looks like to still have an impact in the lives of their grandchildren. We need to teach families the Word of God. And when we do, it's going to renew. It's going to strengthen It's going to build them up and equip them. And they will grow kids who will be parents, who will grow kids, who will become parents, who will grow kids, all to the glory of God. That's what we need to be about. That's what I'm saying in this whole idea of being an R3 church. We need to be reaching, we need to be receiving, and we need to be renewing by the Word of God in their lives. So how's it going to happen? Sure. Yes. What? How? I don't know. Exactly. I can tell you we're starting. I can tell you you saw all these kids up here. That was not just to go hand in hand with this sermon. In fact, my sermon goes with that because they asked to come up here. They wanted you to see the kids that are going downstairs. It's easy to lose sight of them as they go out the back. They wanted you to see. They wanted you to pray. They wanted you to have a burden for these kids like they do. See, and we're starting. We have a Cornerstone Kids group that's going. And thank you very much to Jen Vaught, who who served as our Sunday school director and, and worked through all this process. And I know it wasn't easy. But I'm thanking the Lord for God has used her and what she did there. And that that kind of birthed what we have going on now. God is at work. He is doing things. It may not look the way it has always looked because, again, we're trying to reach. We're trying to reach. You know what happens in missionaries, what missionaries do? When they go to a a tribe out in the jungle or they go to a different culture, they learn the culture so that they can reach them with their culture. They learned that if you try to make them transform to your culture, It ain't going to work. So we're trying to reach. We're trying to ask what's the culture like of families today and how do we reach them so that we can receive them and by the word of God, renew them. That's what we're seeking to do. So let me beg you. I plead with you. I would get on my knees 
if I have to, asking you to pray, 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 pray. I do want to say this. No church can do it all. We're not going to be able to do everything for every family. Understand that, okay? We're, we're starting out where God wants us to be, and, and, and we're going to keep moving forward. And as he works in people's hearts, and as he moves people to do different ministries uh, in that area, we're, we're, we're excited about that, and we've seen that happen. But we can't be all things to all men right now. I'm praying that there's going to come a day that as we continue to do this, that people are going to be so excited about what's going on here, they'll be going, hey, let's do this. I'm equipped to do this. I'm equipped to do that. Let's do this. Let's... And, 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 and we see things just happening. Right now, we're starting with the Cornerstone Kids. And we're starting with a men's ministry that has been meeting and a, and a sister's group that is going and a WANA club that's been going and, and, and we're there and, and we want to grow these. We want to build upon them. There's much more to be done. So all I'm asking is that you will pray. Pray for our church, that we be reaching and receiving and renewing. Pray for God's direction, that the elders and the leaders would be sensitive to His leading. Pray that we as a church family would be sensitive. And pray for God to work in hearts. And perhaps if you pray that, He's going to work in yours. And be excited about that. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you.